Hello, my name is Reverend Casey Carbone, and you're listening to a sermon provided by the First Presbyterian Church of Mayopac. We are currently worshiping on Sundays at 10 a.m., both on Facebook Live and YouTube Live. We hope that this message provides you with a source of encouragement and allows you to grow more deeply in your faith as we all continue to seek to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. Our second reading of Scripture comes to us from the Old Testament, once again from the book of Genesis. So if you would like to follow along, uh, it's very easy to find this time. You just go to the very first part of your Bible, if you have it by you, and Genesis is right there. And so our reading is from Genesis chapter 17, verses 1 to 7, and verses 15 to 16. Let us listen now to God's holy word. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, and I will make my covenant between you, between me and you, and will make you exceedingly numerous. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, As for me, This is my covenant with you. You shall be the ancestors of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the ancestor of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring, after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall give rise to nations kings of peoples shall come from her. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I asked early on in the pre-worship time, I asked this question of what the history of your name, or if you knew what the history of your name was, I saw some of you sent in responses. You you know, names are important, right? They help us differentiate between objects, people, places. They help us to identify them. Both the things that are tangible, things that we can touch, see, taste, places that we can see, but they also help us identify the intangible elements of our world as well, right? Names help us to give shape and form to philosophical ideas. They help us give an understanding of things like emotions as well. These combinations of consonants and vowels, they, they contain a vast amount of power power that can sway public opinion, 
power that can tear down, power that can prop up, cover up, or reveal. These combination of letters can also intimidate or instill a sense of hope. There's power in the names we use, don't you think? During this time of Lent, we have a focus on inward and outward reflection. So during this season, what will we name as areas that need renewal? Areas that need to live more fully into the covenant God has made with us? And how will we name ourselves as people who are claimed and sealed in the eternal promise of God's love? I know I asked this question at the beginning of our our time of worship, but I want you to take a brief moment and answer for yourself this question. Do you know the history of your own name? Is there a significance to it? Is there a story that goes along with it? I know I saw a, a couple of responses. For myself, my name being Casey, uh, if I remember correctly, my, I was named after my uh, great-grandfather, uh, Cornelius, who went by Casey, and I'm thankful that my parents did not name me Cornelius, but Casey. So it was sort of like a keepsake. But it's interesting, the names that we use, because sometimes they do hold that sentimental meaning that, that's close to our hearts. In many ways, for us, as names are important because they can be sentimental or they hold a special meaning for us, we find that in Scripture, names also had a very important significance. Names in Scripture had a purpose. Contemporary naming schemes, though, would make you think that we, we do care little about names. You only have to look at some of the baby names that celebrities have given their children. But comparatively speaking, in the ancient world, the biblical world, we find the importance placed on the names of people and places. And in many cases, these names and name changes marked a significant shift of someone's life. For example, if we look at the Old Testament, of course we have Abraham and Sarah, which in Hebrew we would say Abraham. But we also have someone like Jacob, Old Testament figure Jacob, whose name was related to meaning a deceiver, who later became Israel, God's people. Hosea, salvation, became Joshua, the Lord's salvation. And in the New Testament, we find such figures as Saul, who began to embark on a persecution of the early church, who later became Paul, one of the more influential apostles. In these 
moments of thinking about names and their significance, their importance, their power, we find how they play a part of God's unfolding and never-ceasing covenant. We find that in these use of names, God's sphere or the sphere of God's calling is continually being expanded. Right? In the very beginning, we find God calls and names a certain group of people. Even more specifically, we find that scripture often refers to the patriarchs. But over time, that sphere continues to grow, reminding us how the names we use change as God's covenant continues to include an ever-growing cloud of witnesses. As I said, the words we use to associate with people, places, objects, and ideas help us to form a narrative that we tell ourselves about the world. It tells us a story of how things work. But if we aren't careful, right? If we aren't careful, these grammatical markers can do great harm. They can instill implicit biases, fear, hatred, malcontent, and even inflict physical harm. We see in the reading from Genesis this morning that God uses names as a way to expand the covenant, as a way to welcome in more people. But as we think about the use of names and the power they play in our world, what are some examples of the ways that we use words, names in particular, that are harmful? Think about this for a moment. Think about how we use the word thugs. How we use words like inner city, illegal, not to mention the myriad of other charged terminologies that have been used to direct unfathomable amount of, of fear and hate towards our Jewish neighbors, our Muslim neighbors, women, people who are in poverty, people who are wrestling with mental health. Think about how we have used names in particular that have not really lived into this covenantal expansion that God is doing today and was doing back in our reading from Genesis. There are names that we use that do not build up but tear down. Names that cause us to fear more than to live into the trust and love of God. Think about that for a moment about the names we use that cause more harm than good. Because when we use this type of rhetoric, we aren't living, as I said, into the covenantal promise, the covenantal promises of God. Because we see throughout the overarching narrative of Scripture that God continues to call many to partake in the kingdom-building work 
of the community. The story may have started out with Abraham and a handful of patriarchs of old, but God's voice calls out, still calls out, calls us by name. Names that reflect our rich diversity of genders, of races, and creeds, whom God welcomes. The opposite is true, though, of course, that just as easily as our naming can tear down or destroy, it can also lend itself to healing and helping us rediscover the reassurance of God's love, even if we think we aren't deserving of such things. I don't know if you ever watched Tim Rice's rock opera, Jesus Christ Superstar, but there's this part in it where Judas voices this inner monologue where he says, does he, Jesus, love me too? Does he care for me? We might say yes. Jesus cares for us. Jesus loves us. The God who breathed life into every living being, who gave us each a name, and even sat down and broke bread with those who would betray him, cares about us. Because the name of God is written on all our hearts, and our names are written on God's heart as well. And it is, antagoni or it is agonizing when our malice taints those most sacred names because we give into fear instead of placing our trust in God. We should know by now that God's transformational calling as God calls us by our name is meant to bring us into a deeper understanding of ourselves, our faith, and our relationship with one another, to live into the fullness of the covenant God promised Abraham and Sarah so long ago. But if we refuse to name the things that do us harm, and I'm not just talking now about those broader systematic things, I'm talking about more personal things as well. If we cannot name them, either because of shame or fear of judgment from others, we won't be able to grow. We have to name them. We can't pretend that our struggles aren't there. Believe me, we can't. We can't create a fantasy where we believe that if we don't name the problem, it doesn't exist. That's not how the world works. In our Lunson Faith study, you, you, if you were there, you would have heard me say that I know this to be true because if <laughs> my mom told me to clean up my toys and I had a habit of just stuffing them wherever to make them out of sight, that doesn't mean the problem <laughs> went away. It still was there. And in the same way, in our Lunson study, we talked about how refusing to name things that kill us on the inside or outside when we refuse to do that, it causes a lot of grief. That's where we need what the Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann calls honest talk. 
with God. Honest talk with God. During this Lenten season, we need to say, I know I'm imperfect, but I'm going to trust in God's never-ending grace. I'm going to name the things that are not part of God's covenant, God's promise for us. I'm going to name the things in my own life, in my community, that do not lead to the pathways God is trying to nudge us to. If we sit down with God as individuals, as a church, as a community, we'll find that when we name the things that have caused harm, we'll open up the avenue to restoration and justice and reconciliation. But we have to name these things, friends. We have to name them and trust that God will help us transform our hearts and our minds when we do, so that we can continue to be part of the promises that God made long ago. What will your time of honest talk with God look like during this Lenten season? I wonder what the honest talk looked like for Abraham and Sarah, who couldn't possibly believe that they would have children, but they did. What was their honest talk with God like? What will yours look like? How will you live into and embrace the name of God that is written on your heart, knowing that your name is written on God's heart as well? How will you strive to change the names you use that might do damage, that might cause pain, instead of kingdom building? As we hear this morning, there's power, there's significance, there's meaning to a name. There's power in our ability to name things that need cleansing and purging. And that power comes from the name of God and Jesus Christ, our Lord, with the work of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks again for listening, and we will hold you in prayer as we head into a new week. If you'd like to learn more about our church and ministry, or if you'd like to learn how you can support us, you can visit our website at mayopacchurch.org. Until next week, God bless.